we're glad to open our arms wide to one another this day and to everybody joining us online, wherever you're making your connection with us and inviting the Spirit of God to open our eyes a little wider, open our hearts um, to welcome the truth and the grace that God has for each of us right here in this moment. And of course, you've been praying, as have I, I imagine, for the people of Ukraine. And, um, and we've been in touch with Steve Bowles there, who's the executive director of Mission to Ukraine, which one of our members, Jonathan Pomazon, was very strategically involved with. And so we, we have heard from them that they've got all the mothers and children under their care in a safe place, and they're praying for protection, for provision, and for peace. And if you join me in that prayer, could we just say amen? And let's invite God to make himself known and to bring this conflict to as speedy end as possible as we seek to pursue peace in Jesus' name. In the movie Taken, Liam Neeson plays Brian Mills, a former CIA operative whose daughter has been kidnapped and then sold into sex slavery by an affluent ring of traffickers that are operating out of Paris. And in words now iconic in moviedom, <laughs> he tells the traffickers that he has a very particular set of skills that make him a nightmare for people like them, and that he will find them, and that he will kill them. I mean, the movie is intense, it's violent. As a dad of daughters, I was feeling it keenly, okay? Um, it is visceral as Neeson's character, Brian Mills, not only does he get his daughter free, but in the process, he bring, free from being victimized, but in the process, he brings the entire deceitful, despicable system down. And in Revelation 17 and 18, what John sees is God in holy justice unleashing it like a lethal nightmare against the world system that has for so long victimized his precious loved ones, his creation. And the system of evil that has seduced and deceived and conned and swindled and doped people up and then ripped people off, it's finally coming down. That's the scenario here. God is saying, okay, it's gone on long enough. Time's up. And I will find you and you are going down. That's the backdrop for this chapter. The seduction and the destruction that worldly ways have cost the human race are coming to their end. That's the cosmic backdrop of this last day's scenario. And in powerful, visceral, I mean, gut-wrenching sometimes images, John takes us through the wreckage and the ruin of an entire way of doing life, a civilization coming apart at the seams. We've seen some of that happening already in the predictive images. But here, it's like, man, it's going down in flames in God-sized proportions. The volume's up, and it's epic. The godless world system 
and everything in it is all going away. That's the vision that John has written for us in Revelation 17 and 18. The bait, the bait that the evil one has used as temptation to entice and then ensnare his prey is now being exposed and exterminated. That's what's happening in these chapters. Revelation 17 and 18, the seduction and destruction that it brings is now being destroyed. You feel that? In his first letter that John writes about five to ten years earlier than the Revelation, he says, do not love the world, writing to believers like us, or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires pass away. They are passing away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. First John chapter 2, verse 15 and 17. So it's like sad but true. But here's the announcement, the brutal facts. The world is passing away. And the word world in this context really matters. The context isn't speaking of the natural world of God's creative genius over which he looked in Genesis 1 and said, now that is good. Not that world. This is not the world of John 3.16, the world of the people that God loves and has come in Christ to offer himself on the cross in redeeming grace. For God so loved the world. No, it's not that world. The word world in this context is speaking of the value system that orders life as if there is no God in rebellion against God and then sets oneself up as God and then making an idol of the lust of the flesh. That means physical desire. The lust of the eyes. That means um, selfishly coveting material goods. And then the pride of life, the arrogance and ego swagger that comes with self-absorption. The value system that acts as if this world is all there is and we're the gods of it. That's what he's talking about. Worldliness, also known as Babylon, also known as the great city, the great prostitute, the mother of all prostitutes. Now, I need to tell you, as difficult and confusing as some of Revelation has been uh, so far, has seemed so far, that the visions that we take a peek at today may be the hardest and most offensive in our journey yet to consider. Uh, it's like Brian Mills in Taken. God is on-site executing justice and using the images of human trafficking to do it. Now, in Jewish and Christian belief, which is John's background, men and women are either called to personal chastity or to marital fidelity in human sexuality. And with that as a backdrop, then Revelation chapter 17, the metaphor of Babylon, the prostitute, 
symbolizes a system of life that is far, far from God's call. And as the seventh bowl of wrath was poured out, which is where we were the last time we gathered, Revelation 16, we were told that God gave Babylon, this world system, the great cup, the cup filled with the fury of his wrath. And now in chapter 17, guess what? We're getting to see what's coming out of the cup. What does that look like? We see what it means. So would you stand with me as we hear the word of God as given to John, who wrote it down for our hearing today. And may God add blessing to the reading of his word. One of the seven angels who said, who had the seven bowls came and, uh, and said to me, come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters with her The kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. And then the angel came and carried me away in the spirit to a desert, and there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names, had seven heads and ten horns, and the woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold and precious stones and pearls, and she had a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. And there was a title written on her forehead, Mystery, Babylon the Great, Mother of Prostitutes and of the Abominations of the Earth. And I saw that the woman was drunk, drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. And when I saw her, I was greatly astonished. And the angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that she rides, which has seven heads and ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. The inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, they'll be astonished when they see the beast because he once was, now is not, and yet will come. This calls for a mind of wisdom. The seven heads and seven hills on which the women sit There are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is, and the other has not yet come. But when he does come, he will remain for a little while. And the beast who once was, now is not, is an eighth king who belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. And they will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will overcome them, Nike, because he is the Lord of lords and king of kings. And with him will be his called and his chosen and his faithful followers. And then the angel said to me, the waters you saw where the prostitute sits, are peoples, multitudes, nations, languages. And they will bring her 
the, the beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute, and they will bring her to ruin, leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire, for God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to give the beast their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. Now hold up. Do you kind of feel like the explanation of the mystery is like a whole other mystery? (laughs) Then would you join me as you sit down (laughs) and yet keep our minds trying to engage around this? You know, I can relate to that. And I've just been trying to read the text straight so we hear what it says, right? Without commentary, we hear what it says, and then we try to make sense out of what does that mean? From a helicopter height, you know, so we can't get down into the weeds on everything, but we want to pay close enough attention to, to see the larger impact. Um, and I, I can relate to that not understanding and sounding so strange. In fact, a few weeks ago, right after the message, a guy came to me and he said, Man, Bill, <laughs> you are so courageous to be doing this because you sound like a crazy man. <laughs> I thought, you know... Um, I said, you know, I understand how uh, it can sound that way, especially when we're listening through a 21st century filter. But let's remember once again that this is not written to be taken in literal physicality. This, This is apocalyptic prophetic language of a very special kind which is full of hyperbole and exaggerated imagery. I mean, think about psychedelic fantasy genre rock album covers. You know, I mean, they're just out there. Apocalyptic, prophetic language. Only these images are not concocted to sell albums. They're meant to arrest attention and then bring blessing to those who are leaning in to take it to heart from its source. They are divinely inspired to bring blessing. That's what the author said. And in helping God's people be ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ, who we're told once again is the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And Jesus in chapter 2, verse 19 of this revelation told John this. He said, I want you to write down what you see. John 2, verse 19. What is now, what will take place later. And so we've been looking at these visions with an application to the first century in which they were received. And then all across time, which what came later. But now as we anticipate the final chapters of time as we know it, what will take place. So um, as time comes to a close as we know it. And then the eternal destinies are launched from God's cosmic purpose. The image of Mother of harlots, the madam of a global brothel that is populated by the high and mighty, the rich and powerful, the kings of the earth. That's the picture that's been painted here. Now, you know what? At one time, that would have seemed an extreme exaggeration, and yet it's like we're reading about it in headlines today, aren't we? International trafficking, where those in charge sell their own souls by selling other people to get rich by exploitation. And the idea is a metaphor about the seductive, corruptive, and destructive power of worldliness. 
the kind of worldliness that then hijacks God's good creation, God's good gifts of human creativity, of human productivity, and of human sexuality. God has a great plan that he's inviting us to into, but it's been twisted into an evil intention and outcome. Babylon is code here for life and civilization without God. And the madam of prostitution takes what's beautiful and full of life-giving potential and vitality of intimacy and community and then abuses it and exploits it and then persuades others to do the same. But remember, these are all symbolic images. Use the world to get what you want when you want it because you want it and because you can. It's like Esau, the original secular man one of the first models of worldliness in the Bible, he sold his identity and his birthright for some temporary material satisfaction, what he thought would be satisfaction. Turned into a lot more than that. So here, the worldly know the price of everything and the value of nothing. In a worldly mind, um, everything and everybody has their price. Maybe you've heard somebody say that. And that's the value system that John sees before him in the symbol of a woman who's intoxicating the people of the world with her adulteries. Do it your way when you want it because you can. Only since she, and then since she's got what the kings of the earth, the people of power and affluence think they want, then they're willing to serve her in order to get what they want. See how that works? It's like the, the thought of Admiral Akbar in The Return of the Jedi comes to mind, where he simply says, it's a trap. <laughs> Babylon will promise you the world, but will never tell you that the world is not enough. That everything is never quite enough. That actually, you can gain the whole world, imagine that, and lose your own soul. But she can distract, and she can intoxicate, and she can intimidate, and that's what those seven heads, seven perfection, the heads, the, the kings, the representing all power, secular power for all time, and those who buy into the lie that political, economic, and military strength is what gets you what you want in life. So take it. And then it says, the seven heads, the ten horns on the beast, they're full of insult. They're abomination, blasphemies written all over her. In other words, this is a personification and symbol of uh, the fullness of evil and insult to God. Now, the first century Christians would be reading this and easily make the connection to the Roman Empire because it was happening in their day right in front of their eyes and their blood was being shed because of their beliefs. Some of it, Hal Lindsey, for instance, a dispensationalist, sees this as a prediction in the future of the revival of the Roman Empire in a European economic community. Some see it referring to Satan's attack from the principalities and powers who has always been unleashed, like in Ephesians chapter 6, and at war 
with people who seriously try to follow Jesus in this life. So whatever the drop-down interpretation model there, here's what the text itself says. The Lord of lords and the King of kings will overcome. And then evil will turn on itself. Now this is kind of one of those images that's so cringeworthy. It says the ravaging of the harlot by the beast and its horns, that's chapter 17, verse 16, is a symbol of the self-defeating nature of evil. The greed that gave them power, will in time destroy power. What they sow, they will reap. Human systems built on injustice will not endure. And that's the image of the symbol here. So the next angel is about to announce this. Hey, the party's over. So would you stand as we hear the words of that angel and God's intervention into this intersection of human history. After I saw this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. And with a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen! Fallen is Babylon the great! She has become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird, for all the nations have drunk from the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth have committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. And then I heard another voice from heaven say, come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she's done. Mix her a double portion of, from her own cup, and give her as much torture and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart, she boasts, I sit as queen. I'm not a widow. I will never mourn. Therefore, in one day, her plagues will overtake her. Death, mourning, famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. And when the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared in her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her, terrified at her torment. They now stand far off and they cry, Whoa, whoa, oh great city, oh Babylon, city of power. For in one hour your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones, pearls, fine linen, purple silk, scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood, articles of every kind made from ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, marble, cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, of myrrh and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and the bodies and souls of human beings. 
they will say, the fruit that you longed for is gone from you. All your riches and splendor has vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off and they will be terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out, Whoa, whoa, oh great city of Babylon! Dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls, in one hour such great wealth has been brought to ruin? Every sea captain and all who travel by ship, their sailors and all who earn their living from the sea, will stand far off. And when they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, Whoa, was there ever a city like this great city? And they will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out, Whoa, whoa, oh great city where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour, she has been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, O heaven. Rejoice, saints, apostles, and prophets. God has judged her for the way she treated you. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, with such violence the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of harpists and musicians, flute players and trumpeters, never to be heard again. No workman of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of the millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine on you again. The voice of the bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants in the world's, were the world's great men. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of prophets and of the saints and of all who have been killed on the earth. Please be seated. Man, there's an indictment. And yet what John is seeing and what we just heard from the angel is that the sin of worldliness is behind every death that has ever died on planet earth. The wages of sin is death. And the truth hasn't changed from when it was first announced. This vision, and then in light of the vision, there are two responses to it. Did you see that? One is a one group is really distraught over the collapse of Babylon. Everybody who was getting their piece of the pie. And, and another group is rejoicing. So one group is lamenting and mourning, and the other is like shouting hallelujah. Why? Well, in the vision, it's the pervasive influence of this sin-filled worldliness, and it's all going away. And that makes one side very sad and another side very glad because a separation has finally come. The global house of ill repute is crashing under its own weight. And those building their own kingdoms and their own egos through injustices and through the abuses of greed and pride and envy and lust under the guise of business and art. 
they're all done. And then he says there's this millstone. This angel shows up with a millstone. And you remember when Jesus said, woe to one who leads these little ones astray. It'd be better for them to have a millstone tied around their neck and thrown into the sea. Guess what? Here's the millstone shows up and the, the deceivers are going down. Take them out. So you may be wondering, you know, how are we supposed to explain this all coming from a good and loving God? I thought this was a Christian church. Well, N.T. Wright offers this example. Quote, If God doesn't hate apartheid with its dehumanization of half the human race, he is not a good God. And if he does not finally do something about these and smaller systems, he is not a loving God. Because of the nature of his love, he will not always be stepping in and calling time before the appointed moment. If he did, too many who might have yet repented and be rescued would be caught in the middle. But he will let evil take its course and bring its own nemesis. And then at that moment, which only he is in the position to judge, he will bring the necessary closure on the world's wrongs. Close quote. H. Richard Niebuhr, one of the most famous theologians in the 20th century, describes ultra-liberal Christianity in these words, quote, A God without wrath brings people without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross, close quote. See, some people want a gospel like that. Fallen human nature. You know what fallen human nature wants? Absolute autonomy without consequence. But real life doesn't work like that. So in real life, rejecting God and then trying to do life without God, whether your neighbors or nations just keeps, it doesn't bring life and it doesn't build trust. It just keeps finding us out. The lust for power, the lust for pleasure, they just keep. Finding us out. I heard somebody say one time that history repeats itself because human nature doesn't change. And the false religions, the occult and the witchcraft, you know, these have all been on the rise during the pandemic. Did you see that report? I did. These aren't Harry Potter fans. These are true pagans who are denying the deity of Christ and his atonement and then spreading it through social media. So John's vision is telling us that Babylon, with all of its political, economic, and religious seduction and corruption, is sure to meet destruction. And her haunted house of idolatry and immorality is coming down. It's like a house of cards built on sand or like a spiritual Chernobyl disaster that will soon be a ghost town and not allowed, not allowed to contaminate or destroy any more lives. So it may be hard to believe, <laughs> but that's part of God's blessing for the future yet to be. What are we to do to find our way into that future? How about this? One, hold on to hope that God will one day put a stop to the corruption and contamination of sin in this world of human pride, lust, and greed, 
in every expression, and justice will one day truly and fully come. Hold on to that hope. Two, trust God in the way that he has provided because those who do find salvation. Right in the middle of it, 18 verse 4, come out of her, my people, so that you won't share in her sins or receive any of the plagues. So just because we're in the world doesn't mean we have to be of the world. We've heard that before, right? That's what he's saying. Stay clean, stay clear, obey God, follow Jesus. Just because it looks like everybody's doing it doesn't mean that you have to. Trust Christ. Be God's woman. Be God's man. Come what may. And then three, live larger than this life. God gave John a vision that was bigger than the entire Roman Empire. In fact... It was bigger than human history. And, John gave, and God gave little John a vision that was bigger than time itself and takes us right into the eternity of God's cosmic sovereignty. And now through John, God is giving that vision to you. Why? Maybe he wants you to live larger than this life. The wise bird doesn't build their nest in a tree meant for the axe. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. In other words, build your life on Jesus' word and you will outlive this world. Just like John said in his letter, whoever does the will of God lives forever. So here's a prayer that I found myself praying, I'd like to invite you to join me in it. Search my heart, O oh God. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. And see if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Sister, brother, is the Holy Spirit trying to remind you that you're meant for more than simply this brief span on this tiny planet that would you lean in and say speak Lord your servant is listening and as he invites you to let go of that which you cannot hold forever just tell him yes and if as he invites you to take hold of that which will never grow old which will never leave you would you receive God's word and say yes? And friend, if this day is the day of salvation for you and you're looking for some clarity and some security and some hope, how do I hold on to hope? How do I trust God's provided way? Well, you do it through trusting Jesus the King of kings and the Lord of lords who on a cross offered himself in your place that your sins might be forgiven, that your penalty be paid in full, that the evil one's devices in your life can be broken and through the power of his resurrection you can rise to become an overcomer. If that's you, you can join me in this prayer. Lord Jesus, I believe that you have come 
in love for me and that on the cross you died so that my sins could be forgiven. Forgive my sins. That you rose from the dead so your spirit could come alive in me. Come alive in me. I open the door of my heart and I welcome you to lead me to learn how to follow you. And if you prayed that prayer with me, would you please keep your head bowed just for a moment longer, but if you'd allow me to invite God's blessing upon your next steps of faith, would you simply raise your hand wherever you're seated or joining us online, would you just write in the chat, pray for me, I'm praying to follow Jesus. Amen. Here in the, in the back, in the middle, God bless you. On the aisle, amen. God bless you. Again on the aisle, amen. Lord Jesus, for every person who by uplifted hand is saying, my heart is open and I'm trusting you, would you make yourself known to them in the peace that passes human understanding, even as we pray in your name, amen.